you know, <laughs> we're, we're doing something a little bit different today because of the series that we're starting uh, today about worship. Now, uh, depending on your background and what kind of churches you've been involved in, where you've been involved in, when we start talking about worship, some of you like either get really nervous or it starts to bring back maybe some unpleasant memories because, you know, worship is a topic that draws deep and heated conversations among people that go to church because oftentimes what we talk about with worship has to do with style. You know, it has to do with the type of music or the instrumentation or what people wear, um, you know, how long the service is, you know. Uh, so, so, you know, a, a lot of those things can draw just some unpleasant uh, memories because if you've ever been in a, in a church that had arguments or battles over worship, I mean, it just leaves a bad uh, impression because, as I said, most of the time when we talk about worship, it's about style and not much else. And so for that reason we oftentimes will fall short of understanding the deep nature of biblical worship. And depending on, you know, like let's just say you did a Google search and you just were curious, like, what is worship? Or what is biblical worship? Or what is Christian worship? With all things internet, you're going to get a bunch of different responses, a bunch of different pages, a bunch of different ideas, a bunch of different definitions. But one of the things about biblical worship that makes it hard to define is because it's both an act and an attitude. Like a lot of what we're going to talk about in this series is not necessarily so much about the act, it's about the attitude because the attitude has a direct influence on the act of worship. So if we talked about like just the act of worship and what goes on in here, we're going to miss a lot of other areas of the Bible that speak about the attitude of worship. And so that's our goal over the next three weeks. And uh, Kyle here beside me, and a lot of you recognize Kyle as one of our uh, members of our worship team, uh, is, is uh, a tremendous, yes, yeah, yeah, I saw some back there. But also Kyle is one of our elders, in case you didn't know that, and um, you know, Kyle and I have had a lot of conversations over the years, but when he became an elder, those conversations went a lot deeper, I would say, you know, and especially in this area of worship. And so as we've talked about this series and the idea of this series really started to take root, I asked Kyle to be a part of this. Um, you know, usually you hear him behind the microphone playing singing, so it's very different to take the step out here and join me and have a microphone in your hand for a different reason. So I am really glad that he's a part of this series, that he's going to contribute uh, as a part of this series. And we're going to spend a little bit of time in John chapter 4 to set the stage for what we're talking about today. And for some of you, John 4 is a very familiar passage. For some, it may not be, but uh, Jesus has this interaction with a woman in a region called Samaria. It's a place that Jews didn't go to, uh, and there's a lot of background that for the sake of time I'm not going to go into, uh, but Jesus was in an area that Jews didn't go into. And so he comes to this town um, and, and comes to this village, and he sends the disciples into town to buy food. 
And he's waiting at the community well, which was a typical uh, setting in a lot of these uh, in a lot of these towns. Is you had a community well. Everybody came out in the morning to draw water. They came out in the evening to draw water. The middle of the day is not when you went to the well, because that that's like in the summers around here. Like you try not to do outside work in the heat of the day. You try to get it done early. Try to get it done late. Uh, also, the community well was the meeting place, it was the gathering place, it was the gossip place. Not that y'all would know anything about that, right? Um, and, and so, for Jesus to be waiting at the well, and this woman comes by herself in the middle of the day is very telling. And so Jesus has this interaction and this conversation with her and talks about being the living water. And if she knew who he was, she would be asking him. And then, you know, he says, go and get your husband. And that's like when the record or the music stops, like it goes, because she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right, you don't. You've been married five times and the man you're living with is, your, is not your husband. And her response almost in one way just kind of tries to change the subject, but it does get the, at the heart of something that we struggle with in the context of Christianity because of all the different denominations, all the different theologies, all the different worship styles, all the different ideas about what worship is and how worship happens or how it is and how it doesn't happen. Listen to her response when Jesus talked about her life situation. Now, this is verse 19. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So she says, you must be a prophet. And she's immediately going to jump to a religious question. So tell me, like, I want this answer. Tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship? While we Samaritans claim it's here on Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will not matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Now, this woman is asking a question that we keep asking for generations. Like, what is the right way to worship, the right place to worship, the right style to worship? Again, you know, it's, it's this act of question that she's asking. You say it's in Jerusalem, we say it's Mount Gerizim, but Jesus, in his typical fashion, doesn't answer her question in the way that she asks it. He goes way beyond, and, 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 and that was what Jesus had this ability to do, is he says it's not going to matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Now, this is not a derogatory statement. Jesus is, uh, Jesus is not being negative. It's not a bless your heart answer. Oh, bless your heart. You just don't know what you're talking about. That's, that's not what he's saying. He really is calling out that because of the Samaritan background and the Jews' hatred of the Samaritans, they really didn't know a lot about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And But then Jesus says, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. The Jews were God's chosen people. Jesus, died, G Jesus is born as a Jew, is recognized as a Jewish rabbi, dies on the cross for the sins of humanity, so therefore salvation does come through the Jews. 
But he says this phrase again, the time is coming, but then he adds, indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship, in, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. If you've ever read this passage, you've heard this phrase, worship is spirit and in truth. Uh, the Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now again, in typical Jesus fashion, whenever he says something a second time or repeats it, that's something to pay attention to. So he says that true worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. But what does that mean? Have you ever heard that phrase and went, well, what does that really mean? Like, what does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? Like, you know, how, did, how does that flesh itself out? How do we apply that? How do we have an understanding of what that is? Because if Jesus is saying that's what true worshipers will do, how do we get at an understanding of that? And that's what we're going to attempt to do over the next few minutes is to really dig into what Jesus is saying about spirit and in truth. And the first one is, is spirit. And, and Kyle's going to spend a little bit of time kind of unpacking like what Jesus is saying when he says spirit, because that's the one he leads with. So there's some significance there. Okay. Well, whenever he speaks about Worshiping in spirit and truth. Um, the Greek word for spirit is uh, pneumatic, and that translates directly into wind or spirit. So with God being a spirit, the true worship must come into a spiritual, from a spiritual place, from inside of you, from, from your heart. It's got to be heartfelt and 100% you. Um, Warren Ziersby said that the worship is a response from all of man to all of God, meaning it's everything you can give him because he is everything. So if it's not heartfelt, it's not felt by him. Um, what we do up here, whether it's singing, whether it's playing, whether it's the, the participation that we give in Vacation Bible School, if it's not in a heartfelt sense for Christ and for his betterment, it's not going to be felt. Um, I used this reference in the first service, but uh, I think of it kind of like it being at home with your spouse. You can say you love them over and over and over again, but if it's not a felt thing, if it's not a, an intentful, heartfelt action with it, it's, it, it means nothing. So with that, you can't have one without the other. You can't have the words and not the actions. So it has to come from your heart. Yeah. We, we are created to be spiritual beings, but without a relationship with Christ, our spirits are dead. So without Christ, we can't worship. Worship is not possible. So when we enter into a relationship with Christ, we see in Scripture that the Holy Spirit comes into us, dwells in us, and so worship is moved, it is prompted, it is blessed, it is empowered, not by our effort, but by the Holy Spirit's presence. And so we could sing and we can, we can raise our hands and we can raise our voices and we could you know, put our hands up in the air. There's so many things that we could do, but without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the Spirit moving within us, worship doesn't happen. 
Uh, we can go through the motions. We can be a part of the act of, but if the Spirit is not moving and prompting, then that worship is not going to happen because it is spiritual in nature. And it's easy to just kind of say, well, I'm, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to sing some songs and I'm going to hear a message, you know. But there is more at, at work and there's more potentially at work than we even recognize or realize because of how it's spiritual in nature, deep within our hearts, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. But then Jesus talks about spirit and in truth. So if Jesus is the embodiment of truth, what is Jesus getting at when he says that worship is in spirit and in truth? So one of the things that's important to understand is that worship is to be a movement of the Holy Spirit, yes, within our hearts, empowered by the Holy Spirit, but it must also be in line with the truthful teachings of Jesus and the Bible. Now, Jesus never contradicts the rest of the Bible. The rest of the Bible never contradicts Jesus. And so one of the, God, one of the gods that we have to understand when Jesus says we worship in spirit and in truth is to understand the things that Jesus says. Because that will also influence our ability to be able to engage in the spiritual act of worship. Now, one of the things about the Greek language is it's really hard to sometimes get at the Greek essence in the English language. There is, uh, there is a lot of layers and beautiful nuances to the Greek language. And frankly, English translations have struggled to get always at the right essence of the Greek translation. And I came across something this week that I thought was really uh, telling about this phrase, in spirit and in truth. There is a small Greek preposition at work here that links spirit and truth together, meaning we can't worship with just truth or we can't worship just in the spirit. They must be linked together. Now, some of you probably have a background that was more liturgical in worship. If you're a Methodist, Presbyterian, uh, Episcopal, you know, you go into a service and there's this, you know, four, five, six, eight, ten pages of stuff that's printed out and you go through responsive readings and scripture readings and the prayers are printed. One of the reasons why that was done is uh, early on in each of those branches of Christianity, they wanted to be able to communicate uh, what they believe to be the truth of Scripture and the truth of who Jesus revealed himself to be. But you also may be in a, in a denomination that wanted to be more spirit-filled or spirit-led. And so maybe you go into a service and somebody says, we're going to start a song and whatever happens, happens. And, you know, you think I go long? There are some church services like, if it ain't two hours, it wasn't church. Right, you know, and we're gonna we're gonna clap and we're gonna sing and we're gonna praise, you know. Now, both of those have at its core well-intentioned um, ideas, but when you disconnect truth from a movement of the spirit, it's just knowledge. When you try to worship just in spirit without the truth of who Jesus reveals Himself to be, then you can worship with bad theology. So that's why Jesus says it's very important that they are linked together. And I want to give you an example of one uh, just to kind of show you how um, bad theology can take worship a little bit off the rails. 
Jesus, in John chapter 14, has just come off saying to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, one of the most powerful statements Jesus makes in all the Gospels, that if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. Because when you see Jesus, you see the Father in heaven. And then he starts talking about the work that he is doing and what the disciples are going to do when he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done. He's talking about teaching the truth of who God is, performing miracles, which the disciples did in the book of Acts, um, and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. So he's talking about his death, talking about going to the Father. That's a, a, an allusion to the Holy Spirit coming. But then he says this, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Most of the time when we hear this verse or read this verse, we stop right there. Oh, I can ask anything in Jesus' name and he'll do it. <laughs> I'm going to play me a scratch off. Because I just know in Jesus' name, I'm going to hit the lottery, right? I mean, that's, that's the thing that we have a temptation to do. But let me finish the verse. So, that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you've ever been in a hard situation, if you or somebody you loved has gotten a, 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 a life-threatening diagnosis, if you're in a relationship that's crumbling and you want to save that relationship, if, you've, if, if the economy has hit you hard and you feel like you're on the verge of going under, I mean, any kind of situation, we latch on to Jesus saying, Ask in my name and I'll do it. And we go, so in Jesus' name, you're going to heal. In Jesus' name, you're going to deliver. In Jesus' name, you're going to provide. And what happens is, because that's not what Jesus meant here, if we latch on to that belief and God doesn't provide, heal, deliver, or answer, it hinders our worship because we're worshiping with bad theology. Theology is words about God. All of us carry a theology. You're all theologians, whether you recognize it or not, because we all have certain beliefs about God. And if we don't check those beliefs against who Jesus revealed himself to be, we can be very disappointed in our worship because God didn't provide, or our worship is dependent on God giving the answer that we want. And when we live in a way that, we, that our worship is dependent on God giving us the answer that we want, then worship becomes about me, it's not about God. It's about me getting what I desire, me getting about what I want, God doing for me what I ask him to do for me, and Jesus becomes almost boiled down to or lessened to a genie in the bottle where you rub the, rub the bottle and the genie pops out and we just ask for three wishes and then we want Jesus to go away when they're answered. And so that kind of theology will affect our ability to worship. What Jesus is saying is that when we call out to his name, that those that we know and love apart from Jesus would come to know Jesus. When we pray that God's kingdom would be manifest on earth, when we pray that those that are far from God would come to know God, that, that Jesus would be revealed to the masses, those are the things that are reflective of asking in his name. And why would he not answer that? Because there's nothing God wants more than his name to be known and his salvation to be realized 
in people that are far from him. Those are the prayers that he will answer. And not just in our worship, but a lot of times our prayers don't experience that power because we're too worried about ourselves. We're too worried about what it is that we want to get out of God or what we hope Jesus will bring to us. And so it really does hinder our worship. So one of the things also that is worth looking at is one of the truths of Jesus' teaching and ministry that's important in understanding biblical worship is this. Because if we're talking about worshiping in spirit and in truth, there's one thing that we can go to that, that helps frame, lays the foundation for our worship. And Jesus said this in John 15, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Okay, parents, let me, let, me, let me speak to you for a second. You understand the power of this verse because as parents, you have to lay down your life for your kids. There's times you give up, you give up evenings with, with friends, you give up the evenings out, you give up your wallet, <laughs> you know? I mean, there's a lot of things that you've laid down your life for the sake of raising, nurturing, and guiding your kids. But Jesus isn't talking about kids. He's talking about friends. He just went through a, 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 some, some words with the disciples where he said, you are my friends. And he said, there's no greater love than those that would lay down their life for his friends. Jesus goes to the cross as an innocent man, dies for the sins of all humanity, past, present, and future. And one of the things that communicate to, communicated to the disciples and communicates to us is that Christianity is by nature a sacrificial religion. At the very core of Christianity is sacrifice. That without understanding a level of sacrifice, we are not going to get at the heart of what it means to worship in a biblical and God-honoring, God-praising, God-lifting-up fashion. Because without sacrifice, worship doesn't happen. So he shows... so. What about marks of sacrifice? So how can we really think about what are some of the marks of sacrifice in the life of a follower? Because without them, true worship will not happen. And, and, and as we thought about this message, there were four things that mark sacrifice in our life that we're going to spend a few minutes on before we close. And the first one is our will. Our will. One of the things that happens when we become a follower of Jesus is that we have to make a decision. Am I going to continue to follow my own will or am I going to follow the will of God? One of the things about our vision here at Mission is we want to see people be equipped to become believers, grow as followers, and rise as leaders. Part of becoming a believer is that you're surrendering yourself to Christ. You're surrendering your sin, you're surrendering your, your own life uh, to God. But then as you grow as a follower, uh, we begin to recognize that God has a will for our life, and part of being an obedient follower is yielding my will to his will. And that's going to be a con continual and constant battle in our flesh with the spirit of Christ that dwells within us. Yeah, I mean, we are by nature selfish human beings we we want for ourselves whether it's our time our money our things our you know 
to, to think the way you want to think versus the way you should. I, ethics gets into it. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it doesn't matter what we want to do if it's against the will of God. Mm -hmm. you, have to, you have to seek that first and model your life around that. Yeah. Um, it should be focused on God. And it's easy to get caught up into your own desires and your own preconceived notions of this is what I'm going to do. This is, this is how my life's going to work out because I think everybody in here has had a, a moment where something slaps you and it's just, it changes on a, on a dime. So mm -hmm. our will is secondary. Mm. We have to focus on what God wants and what he has plans for our life. Yeah. The more we know God, the more we know of his word, the more God is going to want to impress his will into our life. And if we can acknowledge and recognize that God's will is going to be best, God's will is going to be better than my will, can we look in an area of our life where we made a decision that was God's will versus my own will? And, and if, if there hasn't been, then worship is hindered. Because something powerful happens when we start to yield our will to the will of God, that something begins to become more alive inside of us because we're recognizing the power and the freedom in obedience. So we come in here and we gather together as gathered people seeking the will of God, doing the will of God. Something powerfully happens in the spirit when believers are gathered with that in mind. And so I just want to challenge you to think about, can you recognize a time that you did something that was the will of God versus your own will and what happened in your life, in your mind, in your spirit when you yielded your will to his? The second sacrifice that's vitally important is that of our pride. I hate to tell you this, I really do, because I, I know some of you, this is going to burst your bubble. You're not always right. Some of you are like, uh, 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 yeah, can I really? <laughs> You're not always right. And, and, and part of relinquishing aspects of our pride and our relationship with God means there's going to be times you've got to go back to somebody and say, I was the one that was wrong. There's times you've got to go back and say, uh, I, I, totally, I, I totally took that wrong, or I totally misunderstood, uh, I totally made a mistake, you know, the mistake I made cost you X, Y, or Z, you know, I'm going to own that. I'm, that. That is a relinquishing of pride. And, and if we have a hard time doing that in our relationships with each other, we're going to have a hard time doing it in our relationship with God. We just are. Because pride is the hardest thing for us to lay down. And there's a lot of different reasons why we struggle with pride. I mean, it can be insecurity. It can be arrogance. We could have people filling us full of stuff our whole lives that just make us think we're always the one right. We're always the one in control. But where God desires to see us lay down our pride also influences our relationship with him because he's going to say to us, this attitude, this action you have is not in line with my will. Yeah, I think one of the, the most obvious ways that we can we can put our pride against or put our pride down is is through repentance that's that's one thing that just stuck out to me whenever we were prepping for this is just to give up something that's that's got a hold on you whether it's a sin it's an act it's it's a product it's whatever you know we're called to repent and follow mm -hmm. and 
so many people are holding on to something. Yeah. Everybody is. There's something. Mm -hmm. But being able to 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 lay that down and say, This is this is what I need you to take from me. This is you know, to clear my slate. This is this is it. That's a that's a big pride point. Mm -hmm. Um and it's a it's a difficult obstacle to overcome. It is. It is. And and when we're hanging on to pride we're not going to be able to worship in spirit and in truth because God calls us to be humble as Christ was humble. He calls us to lay our pride down before him and acknowledge that he is the one who knows best. He is the one who is holy. I am not. And so our pride will get in the way of our ability to really have an attitude of worship because we're hanging on to something that says, I am, I am right. I am I am the one in control, and will and pride go real closely together. A, a third one that sometimes we don't think about but is vitally important is that of a sacrifice of time. Sacrifice of time. Now look, some of us would spend money to save time because that's, that's our greatest commodity is time. It's like there, we always need more time. Like, God, can't we have a 26-hour day? 27-hour day, you know, um, you know, but it, it, we, we don't. I mean, we, we've always got decisions of where we invest our time, always. There's always choices about where our time goes. And when we look at how we engage in, in a spiritual community, those sacrifices of time will start to expose themselves. Kyle actually found this several weeks ago, um, and, and I, hij I didn't hijack it. I, <laughs> um, but but I, I, brought, I, I, asked, you know, I brought it up a few weeks ago, but it really is true. In a Pew Research study of active churchgoers, those that said they were a regular church attender said they attended church 26 times a year. Regular church attender. Now look, if, if you only went to work half the days of the year, would you be considered a regular employee? So, so, so you know, we, we, we thought about this and, and talked about it in light of like, okay, let's just take vacations and weekends away. You know, like anniversary weekends, birthday weekends, uh, get me out of here before I go off on somebody kind of weekend. You know, I just got to get out of here. You know, um, let's just say there's six of those a year. And, and maybe, I'm, maybe I'm on the low side, but let's just say six times a year you go out of town. Okay, let's figure in two, three or four Sundays. Let's say four Sundays for sickness. You're sick. The kids are sick. Um, you know, there's illness and you don't need to be around other people or you're staying at home because the kids don't need around other people. Now we're at 10. So we've gone from 52 to 42. That still leaves another 16 weeks where regular church attenders are going, eh. Better offer came along. Just wanted to sleep in. Didn't really want to get dressed up and go to church. Didn't want to listen to another long-winded message. <laughs> Come on, y'all. <laughs> yeah, you, mean, you know. I mean, all the different excuses that we can give. But what happens when we're not making a sacrifice of time away from things that are fun, 
things that are enjoyable, things that are pleasurable, opportunities that come along. When we start to sacrifice those and say, God, I'm going to be in your house and I'm going to worship you. I'm going to be in a small group and learn more about the Bible and learn more how to be a follower of you. When I'm going to sacrifice time and serve other people with no thought of what I'm going to get back in return, then we're going to start seeing worship happen in a deeper way in our life because, again, we're sacrificing time that we could easily be somewhere else. And we're giving that time intentionally to our relationship with God. Yeah, intentionally is a word that I wanted to point out there. You're welcome. It's, yeah, appreciate it. Um, but anyway, when you give your time, whether it's here on Sunday mornings, on Wednesdays, vacation Bible school, small groups, whether it's your time, your money, your efforts, we, we've talked about other other instances of, of how to worship. If it's in vanity, if it's because you're supposed to do that, if it's because, hey, I went to church this week, I you know, check it off my list, that's that gets right back into the the uh, spiritual side of it. Mm -hmm. You have to have the intent that you have to be there for the reason. You have to be there for the progression of your your relationship with God and to see where where he moves through you. Yeah. Um, so the intent of of everything, I mean, it is everything. Yeah, yeah. If, if we're here to appease somebody or to impress somebody or to get somebody off of our case, you know, we're not going to experience the true power and the, and the true nature of God's presence because the motivation is not God. The motivation is not him. Even the time that we're here is not even pointed toward him because we have alternate reasons for being in the house of worship, in a small group, wherever the case may be. The last one I want to point out as, as we close. Are we willing as Christ followers to sacrifice our name? We're in an era right now that it is, it is a common practice to try to get your name out there. How many followers do I have? How many people can I influence? How many people like, share, tag, whatnot? I mean, we are seeing an epi in epidemic proportions of people that are building a brand based on their name. And Christians, Christ followers, are not exempt from that. Now, Jesus said that the act of faith, the, the, the engagement of faith is foolish to those that don't believe. And so when, when we're around a group of people and let's say, hey, let's all get up and go to the lake tomorrow, and I'm like, well, I'll, I'll meet y'all there. I'm going to go to church first. Well, you can go to church any other Sunday. Why don't you just blow that off and go to the lake with us? How easy is that to make that small or what is viewed to be that easy of a compromise? Nothing wrong with going to the lake, but where does it fall within the priorities? Let's say you have to make a stand for something that's unethical or uh, uh, in your company. And there's those that want to brush something under the rug, but your belief in Christ and his word compels you to make a stand for something that is ethical. And there's going to be some criticizing you because what it could take from you, are you willing to sacrifice your name for the sake of his name? Because you see, when Christ's glory increases, my name decreases, God is very honored by that. 
And when it's not about me, and it's not about making myself known, and it's not about me being out there, it's about making Christ known, that greatly empowers our worship. Because again, we're sacrificing self, self-gratification, self-glorification, self-recognition for the sake of the worship and honor of Christ. You're surrounded every day with TV shows, news, your phone, anything that pops up, you see pop culture and everything. And, and the things of this world, the popular things of this world, the cool things to do, very, very rarely, if at all, are the godly things to do. Like you have to, and I don't know the, the scripture, but it's talking about, you know, you feed my sheep, but you feed them the right foods, you have to feed yourself the right foods. Mm -hmm. You have to put yourself in positions that you are the odd person out. You are the one that's thinking differently. Mm -hmm. um, normal is not a, not a good thing. Normal in the terms of this world mm -hmm. is not a good thing. You know, be, be weird, be the, be the outcast because that's where, that's where your, your priority lies is to do the, the right thing, the, the ethical thing, the godly thing. Mm -hmm. And that's rarely ever going to be the mass accepted way. Or the easy way. Absolutely. It will rarely be the easy way. That's exactly right. One of the things that we want to close with today is just a little bit of time to reflect on this idea of what are you sacrificing for your relationship with God. And we're going to take a deeper dive uh, next week out of Romans 12 when Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We're going to dive more into what that means and how, we, how that fleshes itself out in our life. But, but just as we lay the foundation of this series, what ways is God speaking to you that you need to be more sacrificial? And, and what ways can we bring that before God? Because we're going to close with a few minutes of worship rather than just saying a prayer and leaving. Because music has the power to stir our hearts in ways uh, that nothing, no other vehicle can. And that's how we, we intentionally wanted to do that in this series. And I know we started with baptism and, you know, we're, we're getting kind of to the 60-minute to, to the, to the mark. But, but just hang in here a few minutes and say, God, where am I needing to sacrifice for you? What, what are you asking me to do about my will, my pride, my time, my name, all for the sake of you being known, you being glorified, and you being lifted up, and the desire to be in the presence of a holy God who can empower and heal and soothe and bring the greatest gift he gives his believers that this world cannot give, and that's the gift of peace. What a gift. Worship is not only a responsibility, it is a gift. Would you bow your head with me? Let's pray a little bit, and then we're gonna, for a little bit, and then we're gonna move into a time of worship. Father, you sacrificed everything for us to have a place in heaven, to be forgiven. You sacrificed everything so that we can know you, be with you, be in your presence. 
Lord, in a world that makes it so easy to take the easy path, the self path, the me path. Those that worship in spirit and in truth are prompted by God to give up their will, give up their pride, give up their time, and give up their name for your sake. God, may we do that. May we experience the power of that because we've emptied ourselves before you. With head bowed, eyes closed, as we finish this time, I invite you to stand right now. Be sensitive to the voice of the Spirit. Be obedient to the Spirit. If you desire to come and pray, you come down here and pray. Say, God, I'm, I'm confessing where I need to be more sacrificial. You can pray and worship and give yourself fully to God exactly where you are. Do that in these moments. And be raw in the presence of our great God and our loving Savior.